Remember, for it to be a forward pass, it's got to go forward. Kaepernick, end jump, Crabtree, broken up, picked off! This game is over! Well, I'm the best corner in the game! When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're gonna get! Don't you ever talk about me! L.O.B. He wants to get in the fight, you can't do that! The quarterback, you can't fight! You're very welcome on to Off The Ball's NFL pod. As ever, I'm delighted to say we've got Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus and Keen Faye of Football Outsiders and Mick McCarthy of Off The Ball. Lads, you're all very welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. Here's Jack. Uh, so the games this weekend, Saturday at 9.35, the Chiefs at the Patriots, followed by the Packers at the Cardinals, around one or half one, so that's the tricky one to stay up for. Uh, that's on Sunday morning. On Sunday at 6 o'clock, it's the Seahawks at the Panthers, the perfect time followed by the Steelers at the Broncos at uh, 9.40. News in the last couple of hours, Antonio Brown is out. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is dealing with a separated shoulder. Why did you just go like that, Mick? You're delighted that one of the I greatest players of his generation No, because I don't you, like you, the idea that a guy's unconscious for three minutes on the pitch and then passes all the concussion protocols and plays seven days later. I'd, I'd say you were, you were delighted because it means that the Broncos are probably going to win and you think that the Steelers have a better chance. No, hold on. Let's definitely not write off the Chiefs quite yet. Uh, Gronk and Chandler Jones will both be available it looks like this is despite the fact Chandler Jones was down on his hands and knees praying and asking to be taken to hospital just last Sunday Jeremy Macklin's going to be running off one leg and there's a doubt about the fitness of um, Spencer Ware in particular in the Chiefs run game uh, right perhaps I think Sam the most important thing ahead of these games is who actually shows up on the day and is fit at this stage of the season it seems uh, maybe it just feels that way, but it seems that this season more than any other in recent memory has been determined by who's still standing at the end of it. Um, every single team seems to have been hit by major, major injuries all the way through this year. And again, we're, we're reaching the divisional stage of the playoffs and we're talking about the sheer number of guys, of really key guys who are dealing with some kind of injury or concussion or coming back from an injury and we've no idea how healthy these guys are going to be. So, yeah, I think every single one of these games, there is at least one significant guy either missing or a question mark because of injury and uh, and concussion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe we should just go through the games um, in terms of the order that they're going to come to us. The Chiefs at the Patriots. Um, the Chiefs on this unbelievable run at the moment. The Patriots have had a week off to rest their weary limbs. Um, Kean, what's going to happen in this game? It's really confusing for the reason you say that you don't really know what's going what's going to show up on the day. And because if, if the AFC, if everyone was completely healthy in the AFC, it was like Madden. You could turn injuries off, and everyone was perfectly healthy. The Patriots would probably easily win it, and you would think that the Steelers would be their biggest challenge. But the Patriots look like a mess because the offensive line already have loads of problems in terms of just level of talent. Gronk seems to be getting in, uh, some injections in his knee or something, and then that was disputed. But either way, he's missed practice this week, which is obviously a bad sign for a guy who has had, had a history of knee issues. Chandler Jones, you don't know what's going on there. That's just bizarre. Uh, and then you look at even Julian Edelman, who we didn't even mention, who is coming back from being out for nearly two months, and you don't know what he's going to be like. And that's all, that's all a problem. And then you look in the backfield, and you've got Steven Jackson, who's about 400 years old. So I'm not sure what we're going to get from the Patriots. And the Chiefs are kind of, it all says the Chiefs are, are ascending and the Patriots are descending. But we had this kind of situation last week with the Packers and Washington. And this, I think this game might be like that, where 
one team doesn't play to our expectations, which is actually the worst of the two teams, and the other one play, plays a little bit better than we're expecting simply because of recency bias with the way they've played. Yeah. Except that the Chiefs are way better than Washington, right? That's I'm not problem. sure. I'm not sure about that because they've they've a lot of injuries too. Like they're Jeremy Macklin, I don't think we can expect anything from Jeremy Macklin this week Fair because point. decoy, yeah. It, it's a week after a, an ankle sprain. Ankle sprains can keep you out for months. Well, and also like, oh, he's done his ACL. Oh no, wait a second, it's only a high ankle sprain. Like, hang on a second, what? Like, It'd be no, a Henry Shefflin situation. Is, yeah, it's just complete nonsense. If I don't believe, I'd say he's done his cruise shit, and they're like, get him out there. He can run a few sets and just show up and they'll have to put somebody on him. Meanwhile, we throw it to one of these other receivers that no one's ever heard of. Or Travis Kelsey, come on down, baby. Come on, Mick. Well, like, yeah, but, okay, fair enough, right? So Macklin's an injury. It's not as if, like the Patriots, as we just talked about, have a lot of injury issues themselves. They've won 11 games in a row and, like, we're not taking them seriously. I'm very worried about their pass rush. I'm, Brady, for the last month and a half, has just been on his ass the entire game, every time he's played. He, there's the Patriots have no offensive line. Fair enough, Vollmer is back, thankfully, but it's a terrible line, and they're just gonna that that like you just think Houston alone could get three or four sacks in this game. That's really worrying to me. Alex Smith is we all know what he is, but he's bloody making plays. Like he had how many rushing yards last week? Um, to go along with the fact that he's like he's. He knows how to get first downs. You know, you could... What I'd be worried now is, like, looking at, you know, the Chiefs would just spend a lot of time, the offense would spend a lot of time on the field. They would get three and outs against the Patriots. I, I, look, if you, if I'm going to pick, and I will later, I'm going to pick the Patriots. I think the talent level is a lot different on the two teams, but I'm just really worried about it. Like. Yeah, um, at the same time, Sam, the, the stats from the Patriots, D, I think they've had the second most sacks over the course of the regular season. So, like, while everybody's focused on Tom Brady and the quality of numbers that he was putting on, particularly in the early part of the season when people were talking about him potentially being an MVP. Uh, it's their defence that has actually yeah. performed way above the, the rest of the league and has got them to this point. And so it's not as if the offence needs to be lights out because the defence is going to be really good this weekend anyway. Yeah, I think the defense for New England is going to be good. It's going to have the better the beating of the Kansas City offense. I think that's the one part of this whole matchup that's kind of set. I think I think that's going to go as more or less everybody thinks it is. Macklin, even if he's playing, I don't think whether it was a knee or an ankle injury, I don't see anything that can get him back in a week and look like the Jeremy Macklin that we've seen all through the season. So that Chiefs offense is going to be Alex Smith running some option stuff. Travis Kelsey, who they can dedicate all their resources to stopping, and depending on how much they try and feed the ball to Spencer Ware out of the backfield um, and, and running the ball, that's pretty much it. I think New England should have the beating of that all day long. Every interesting aspect of this game, I think, is on the other side of the ball. And the real key, I think, is that the Patriots get Julian Edelman back in this game. Mm-hmm. And he's been out for a while, and if he comes back anything like healthy, it's huge for them because... The, he allows Tom Brady to get rid of the ball much, much quicker. The, there's something like 0.3 of a second between different between when Brady's been playing with Edelman and when he hasn't in terms of the average time he gets rid of the ball, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's the difference between being the fastest guy in the league in terms of getting rid of the ball on average and being somewhere in the middle of the pack, which when you, you're talking about a really bad offensive line is huge going up against sacks. some really good pass rush. Yeah. yeah, it's the difference between guys getting there and guys not getting there. 
And when he's got Edelman, he can get rid of the ball just so much quicker. He knows where he's going to be. He's just got that comfort level. And I don't think the Chiefs, for as good as that defense is, and they'll play a lot of man coverage all day long, I don't think they have someone that matches up with Edelman in the slot. Marcus Peters plays pretty much left corner. Sean Smith play on the right side. But the slot is where their big problem is. Um, And that's, I think, where the Patriots should be able to move Edelman to and take advantage of that. But Sam, how much of that comfort level that you have with Edelman, you get the ball out, you know exactly where he's going to be, how much of that comes from reps, how much of it comes from playing every week with him, how much of it comes from practicing every day, that hasn't been the case for nearly three months now. So, like, no, Yeah, but I think you, you accrue that kind of familiarity. I think your timing doesn't go to hell when a guy gets injured and comes back, assuming he's anything like what he was when he left physically your timing gets screwed when you have a new guy come in and you're not used to playing with him at all. When you've played with a guy for a few years, you know how he runs his routes, you know where he's going to be, you know how long it takes him to get there. Just because he's been missing for you know a few weeks doesn't change the, the fundamentals of that. But if you have to rely on a completely new guy that you haven't got a few years worth of built-up reps in, that's where the problems are. And I think New England particularly because they didn't just lose Edelman, they lost Edelman and then they lost Amendola. Yeah. Um, and there was just nobody to fill that role. Yeah, and also Gronkowski's been injured as well, so they yeah. looked awful for a while. Well, they, they have, they had like, if you watched their last two games against the Jets, but particularly the Dolphins, like I watched most of that game, just couldn't believe what I was seeing. They weren't even trying to run the ball. They were using Gronkowski as a decoy. They've got LaFell and like Keyshawn Martin, who they've absolutely no trust in or no time for. And basically what it seemed to me like was that they were just saying, right, we've got Steven Jackson now. Let's give him and our line and everything like that. Just like, let's just practice a running game in an NFL, in an, in an actual actual NFL game just to see if there's anything there or if we can develop it because we might need it in the playoffs. Now I'm not saying they threw the game or anything like it but it's like they didn't seem to go all out for it so I just, I'd be wary of judging the Patriots by the Jets and Dolphins games over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't think anybody's stupid enough to do that. We're judging them by the... Well, they lost the number one seed because of it, whatever they were doing. Super Bowls. Uh, He's got to complete his first 15 passes. They're not going to run it once. (laughs) And uh, and they're going to win this game. Right? Everybody thinks that ultimately the Patriots are going to see this through. Right, Sam? Yeah, I do think they'll win it, I do. Keen? Yeah, but I don't think it'll be convincing like like you would have expected it to be earlier in the year. Yeah. I'll, last time uh, the Patriots played the Chiefs, um, it was in Kansas City, and we may or may not have wrote off the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady year after. I think only Monday Sam night. wrote him off after that. I, think uh, that was I, might, I might have sent a tweet <laughs> saying we should appreciate the years we've had with these guys. That, that <laughs> a few weeks before they won the Super Bowl. It's very important to note that I did not write him off. I merely pointed out that he was declining, (laughs) which is equally wrong, it turns out. (laughs) All right. uh, uh, Also, the game after that, right, I'm just checking my times here. Packers and Cardinals around, yeah, Packers and Cardinals next on Sunday morning at half past one. Um, No one's confused by this game. I don't think too much, Kian, because no one really believes that the Packers are the team from the second half against... Washington, they're the team from the whole game against Washington, and that's just not going to be good enough against the Cardinals, right? You would think so. And the last time they, they made a couple of weeks ago, it was I think it was thirty-eight eight or something. It finished like that. But there were two fumble recoveries that went for touchdowns in that game, so the score was a little bit more lopsided than it actually was. I still think there's a gulf between the two teams. The one, the one hope the Packers have is I don't think the Cardinals have great edge rushers to to rush the passer and. Because of that, they might not be able to exploit the weaknesses of the Packers' pass protection, which might give Aaron Rodgers time. But even then, you're still you're still looking at a big mountain to claim because they're just simply not as talented a team. 
and and yet, you know, that second half performance, it's like this is the playoffs, so maybe recency bias is the only bias that matters. They've put in a quality performance, they've got things going, they've got one of the heaviest looking running backs jiggling his way past <laughs> defenders and rah, swatting them off with his folds of flesh. I mean, like, I don't really know what to make of this, Sam. You paint a beautiful picture. Um, what we saw, that you know, we've seen Aaron Rodgers struggling for the second half of the season, if not longer, and his offense was basically getting assaulted from both ends. The receivers couldn't get open, which meant that he had to try and buy more time to try and find the guys and give them a chance to get open, but then the offensive line was falling to pieces around him, and he didn't have that time. He had less time than ever. So the, the two things assaulting him from both ends just meant that the whole situation was getting disastrous. But Washington was the perfect team to fix that because they didn't have a great pass rush and it didn't show up, even the pass rush they do have. And they were pretty bad on the back end in coverage. So suddenly the receivers were getting open and the offensive line was able to stand up and protect him. And Aaron Rodgers, it turns out, when you fix those two things, is still a pretty good quarterback. But I think you then go to Arizona and you're looking at a team where both those things are going to become problems again. Keen isn't wild in their pass rush, but I think when you add Calais Campbell, Dwight Freeney, Marcus Golden, I think they've got guys certainly that are, they are capable of beating the Green Bay offensive line. We saw that the last time they played. Um, that Dwight Freeney spin move, despite being 40 years old or whatever he is, still has juice and is still pretty much unblockable when he breaks it out. And then I think you go on the back end, and despite losing Tyron Matthew, you've still got Patrick Peterson. You've still got guys that should be able to shut down those Green Bay receivers, at which point it's all on Aaron Rodgers and Eddie Lacy again. And so far, every time that's been the case this season, those two haven't been able to do it. So maybe this actually has the potential to be a blowout if that Arizona offense comes cooking the way that it was up until the last game when clearly they weren't really trying. The one thing, the one thing I will mention there, just because Sam said it, I, I have concerns about their edge rushers, and because I don't think Dwight Freeney is like an every down guy, and I don't think Max Golden is completely refined. But I do agree with him in terms of uh, Calais Campbell inside, and is I think is Cream Martin playing a lot? Or I might have the names mixed up. But they have guys on the inside who are really good, and that will cause a problem for the Packers. But then you're kind of you're hoping that Rodgers is going to be able to uh, account for some of that and make that uh, neglect that a bit or negate that a little bit. They also don't have injuries on the offense in in terms of their skill positions that maybe a lot of the other teams have had, and their players generally are actually playing quite well. Brown's playing well, Larry Fitzgerald's playing well in the slot. Uh, David Johnson is, mm. is lights out at the moment and I think they even have Chris Johnson back this weekend if David Johnson somehow goes down at some You've point You've got Ellington whenever you want them as well who'll knock off an 80 yard run at some stage during the game Not to mention the quarterback is finally fulfilling his potential after 15 years <laughs> This is by far and away the best Carson Palmer has ever played This season was just incredible When you consider he leads the league in average depth of target. So he, every time he drops back to pass, on average, he's going further downfield than anybody else. And yet his statistics from like an efficiency standpoint and an accuracy standpoint are as good as anybody's in, anybody in the leagues. It, it shouldn't be possible to be operating this offense as efficiently as he's operating it at the moment. And if he continues to do that, like this is almost an unstoppable offense. We were chatting about this a couple of weeks ago off air, um, the revolution that it is to put Larry Fitzgerald in the slot and the difference that that's made seemingly to absolutely everything, all the other pieces in that. Why is this not something that everybody else is doing? Calvin Johnson was the one that I was thinking, right? So you've got this basically a a giant with a massive wingspan 
who, if you're suddenly able to get the ball off to him really quickly, then the middle of the opposition's defence is panicked. We're leaving all this extra space outside uh, for your little guys or whatever size receivers you have. Like, is this a bit of a revolution that's happened here or does it happen all the time? It's just that Larry Fitzgerald is so famous that we're seeing so much hype about it. There's different types. Yeah, there's different types of slot receivers, I think. Everyone thinks about Wes Welker and, and Julian Edelman as the the prototype slot receiver, the little small guy that's shifty. But there's also, there's a different type. There's the, the Marcus Colston, now Larry Fitzgerald, bigger slot guy. And I think those guys will work as well. It just takes a certain type of receiver to do it. They have to be prepared to go over the middle and to get a lot of, of hits to make some of these plays. But also with the tight ends, you know, the Jimmy Graham type, these bigger body guys, there's definitely space for that kind of weapon there. It just does take a certain type of receiver to, to do it and to be willing to do it. But when you get one, those guys are devastatingly effective. Yeah, like if I was Calvin Johnson, I would go to a team that I know next year is going to be in the hunt for the Super Bowl, take feck all money, win my ring. And because the way his contracts worked out, he was on the biggest ever rookie contract season. And then he got the biggest ever franchise tag contract. So he's worth endless amounts of money. He's nothing more to gain by being at the Lions. He's going into the Hall of Fame if he retires today, isn't he? Yeah, and then like you know, go. He's never going to win anything with the Lions. Let's face it; like he's never even really had a chance. It's kind of a sad thing, isn't it, when a guy goes to a team like that? Last year they were killed by a ridiculous decision. By, yeah, in the Dallas game, I'd like. I mean, Dallas were and, and by a ridiculous. I know, and we went through that last year, and it was this weird thing all the way through the playoffs. I don't think the Lions were ever going to win the Super Bowl last year. Eh, probably not. <laughs> okay, yeah. very, very unlikely. The the one thing I would say about having the bigger guy in the slot. With Larry Fitzgerald, he doesn't really have much uh, long speed anymore. He's kind of his hamstrings seem to have been bad over the last couple of years, but he's still kind of very quick. He can turn very quickly in tight spaces. What normally happens with those bigger receivers is you put them inside and they're just not quick enough, or they're a much bigger uh, surface for linebackers to hit. If you look at uh, Jordan Matthews in Philadelphia this year, he can't catch the ball because he's so big. Linebackers can just come along and destroy him. It's a lot harder to hit a guy like Julian Edelman who, or Julian Edelman who's working over the middle of the field. Because he's that much smaller and he moves that much quicker. Okay. Don't worry about any of this anyway. This is just Jared trying to find a way to keep Calvin Johnson and his dynasty team <laughs> in the league because he's That's not necessarily he's having true. to play Sammy Watkins these days. That's not necessarily I wonder true. how much of the uh, the Calvin Johnson retirement rumors are him reacting to the kind of concussion stuff that's going on at the moment. You know, at this stage, like you said, he got the giant rookie contract. He got the giant. He's got money. He's got endless money. He's got a pretty good career at the end of all this. What's left for him to do if he hasn't got a if he hasn't got a guaranteed clear path to a Super Bowl ring? You know, he might just be saying, "Look, I've made the money. Is it really worth the risk anymore?" Yeah, it definitely isn't at that Is point. It a unless... thing. Did Barry Sanders retire early? Someone yeah. seems to do it every year, where they just want more guaranteed money, or they want to go somewhere else, and they just use retirement as an excuse. Yeah, I that's I really hope that is the case because he was still really good down the stretch when they when they threw him the ball. He would jump up, catch it, and score touchdowns. And uh, I don't know why they didn't do that a bit more often during the season. Uh, okay, let's move on to the games on Sunday. The Seahawks and the Panthers. I think this is the game uh, probably most people are looking forward to the most. Six o'clock our time on Sunday. The uh, spread here is just a point and a half. And I don't really have a clue what's going to happen. Oh, that's that's an, a slap in the face. For Carolina? Of course it is. We've so, talked about this last week. Was I know... The Seahawks won, but I think I was proved right on their performance. Team of Destiny. Come on. Team of Destiny. They should have lost that game. Russell Wilson. Like, I yeah. hate him and everything. He one thing. But you would start to believe in God <laughs> with what he did with the, the ball's over his head. 
It's looked like, and then there's a guy running free in the middle of the field. What? Okay, if I'm the Panthers, and again, I don't want to talk every single week about putting the spreads up in the dressing room door, but if I'm the Panthers and I'm favoured by a point and a half, are they even favoured? They are. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. For favoured by a point and a half after the season they had and the season the Seahawks just had, and they're going into Carolina, I'd be very offended by it. That's that's at home though. So they give you three points for being exactly, at home. Yeah. So on a it's neutral like field, that means they're underdogs. Yeah. yeah. I get a fe- I get the feeling Mick is a gar coach. <laughs> if I was, I'd definitely have stuff up in the dressing room door. That's my house. <laughs> to the under tens. Here, what is going to happen, lads? What's um? I actually have no clue. I, I don't really understand exactly how the Panthers turned from the team last year into the team they are this year. With okay, okay. So I I understand that we have a quarterback playing as good as any quarterback has had in one season. It's been absolutely sensational. But suddenly bad receivers look amazing. That's the type of thing that almost never happens in, in sports. Uh, the last time these two teams was in the regular season, uh, our teams, these two teams played was in the regular season and the Panthers won it, but they won it with Cam Newton being phenomenal for the last two drives and the Seahawks blowing coverages uh, once or twice at least and won definitely for the long touchdown uh, that won the game. And the Seahawks defense is a lot different now. But even if you go back to that game, because these, I think these two teams don't match up well. But if you go back to that game in the first three quarters of the game, Newton completed eight passes of or eight of twenty-one passes for one hundred and seven yards, two interceptions, and two sacks. And I think that's kind of the way this game is going to go because I just don't think the offense matches up well to the, a fully healthy, a fully cohesive Seahawks defense, which it wasn't when they last met. So I, I understand what the line is. I understand why Mick would be kind of mad at the, about the line because of how both both team seasons have gone. But at the end of the day, you're still expecting Ted Ginn, Devin Fungus, and Jericho Cottery. These guys who have been good at times this year, you're still kind of looking at them and saying they have to make plays. And that's a little bit of a roulette for me. And Greg Olson. Well, Greg Olson, yeah, obviously as well. But I think the Seahawks will probably focus on yeah. taking him out of the game and forcing the ball to the other receivers, which is what they did successfully for much of the last game until he went off late, late on. Um, Kyle Rudolph did look amazing down the stretch last week. And he's got hands of stone. Much and always we like him. He's a friend of the show. He's been... Uh, he caught, caught a pass and won a massive um, penalty, which obviously should have won his team the game. So maybe the Legion of Boom is not the Legion of Boom anymore? Uh, it is, I think. they Certainly earlier in the season, those guys were blowing a couple of coverages every single game. They're not doing that anymore. So if nothing else, they've tightened up the free plays that they've been giving teams and they're making you work for it now. Um, and I think, like Ian said, they're well set up to limit what the, the Panthers like to do, which is rely a lot on that run game. And with Cam Newton um, operating that run game through all the, the things they can do with him, running power as quarterback, auctioning as quarterback. The Seahawks defense is really disciplined up front, and we saw what they did to the Vikings. The Vikings have this man-blocking system they love to run where they just form a wedge in the middle, power guys off the line, and then let Adrian Peterson find a crease and take off. And they were averaging six and a half yards a carry this season coming into that game doing that. And the Seahawks just shut them down. They just, nobody moved off the line of scrimmage. There was no crease at any point for Adrian Peterson to exploit. And they, they weren't able to go anywhere. They're just, it's a really, really good, formidable defensive front that makes you work for every possible yard. And off the back end, you know, Ted Ginn has been able to burn guys all season long deep down the field. He hasn't caught all of them, but he's been able to get open consistently. Those Seahawks DBs, are going to get hands on him. It's going to be press coverage. They're not going to give him a free release off the line, at which point I don't know if he's going to get open deep. 
So I, I think Kean's right. I think it's probably going to end up being a very close defensive battle. And it's really the onus is on the Carolina defense to step it up and be able to limit Russell Wilson rather than the, the other side of the ball. But, like, can we, like, okay, they got a, a brilliant touchdown, right? But we're, like, I mean, it's like we're not focusing on the fact that the Seattle offense did nothing in that game. They did nothing three weeks Bad ago. We talked about it as well. Oh, like, ball not flying through the air. Fine, but Minnesota had the same problems. You know what I mean? Minnesota should have won really, that game, and they're not as good a team fun, as Carolina. They didn't really do anything either, though. I mean, that was yeah. a game where the, nobody did anything on offense. The Vikings got closer a few times, nailed a few field goals, and then it came down to a couple of freaky plays at the end. But... Essentially, that game was nobody doing anything on offense and just seeing where the field position battle ended up. Sure. And the one thing we're all kind of forgetting about is if Marshawn Lynch is going to play. Because if yeah. Marshawn Lynch plays, I know Thomas Rawls was really good earlier in the year and he's gone as well. But when Marshawn Lynch plays, that offense is substantially better simply for him being on the field. Yeah, yeah that's a fair point. Like at this time of year as well, like this is the perfect time of year for Lynch. Just barrel through in the cold. Yeah, but yeah, Can you imagine him turning up after two months of doing nothing and not getting hit, and you've played 17 games or 16 games, whatever it is, and he's just got a big smile on his face. He's perfectly healthy and fit. He's going to run over you. Yeah, if he is fit and healthy, that's the thing. Like, uh, If he's interested. I wonder if he's one of those players who can't immediately come back from injury. Maybe. it should be The weather should be all right in Carolina, though, right? They are coming across. So I, I presume they didn't go back to Seattle. They went from Minnesota to Carolina. But, you know, it's... If you're talking, you're talking about three places that are a long way away from each other. They're playing on the early um, kickoff it's East Sunday. Coast time as well. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that we should be taking into account. Yeah, as I don't well. know. I'd say they went home. No, if they did, it's a long way from Seattle to um, to Charlotte or wherever yeah. um, Greensboro or wherever they play in Carolina. I think they play in Charlotte, don't they? Uh, all right. So predictions for that one. Then no one's. Uh, everybody's kind of leaning a little bit Seattleish. It sounds. Not I actually didn't think of it, the travel until Mick said it, and that might actually play a factor because it has in the past, but I do think so. Uh, do t- still think Seattle will win. Um, I really don't know which way this one's going to go. I'm going to lean Carolina just because I've yeah. doubted them too often this season. All right. The Steelers at the Broncos wraps up the weekend. Um, as I said earlier, Antonio Brown is out. Ben Roethlisberger dealing with his separated shoulder. Mm-hmm. The Broncos have um, Peyton Manning. <laughs> I don't know if it's good Peyton or bad Peyton. Uh this one is like, I haven't a clue either, because if if Big Ben plays and plays well, then the Steelers are in with a chance. But if he doesn't, or if he plays and is, is unfit, then the Broncos' D is going to kill them. I just love the fact that Peyton Manning might be the healthiest player in this game, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, I, I, don't, I thought the Steelers might have a chance if Rottersburger was fully healthy and if Antonio Brown was playing. But without Antonio Brown, I don't see how they can attack this defense, this quality of defense. It's just too good. You can create pressure up front. They can cover all of their receivers now. They can even push coverage towards Martavis Bryant if they're scared of him. And once you do that, you're working with who? Darius Hayward Bay, Heath Miller, Marcus Wheaton, and Rottersburger with a bad shoulder. No, I, I, I think it's, it's going to be easy for Denver, to be honest. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think that's right. I think with Antonio Brown, this was a really, really interesting matchup, even if Roethlisberger wasn't necessarily 100%. Without Antonio Brown, I don't see how they can get anything done. They, they've got, last time they met, Roethlisberger had 380 yards, or they had 380 receiving yards total. Antonio Brown had 189 of them, caught 16 of the 17 passes sent his way, absolutely torched Chris Harris, who's one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. You take that away, it's easy street. They don't have anything to worry about. Martavis Bryan is a pretty good receiver, but he's not going to carry the offense on his own. 
got no running game either. Like everything, like don't forget the Steelers weren't a very good team most of the season as well. And the only time we talked about how they were dangerous is because they had this explosive passing offense. That's completely gone with 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 Brown out and Roethlisberger not healthy. The other thing we've kind of forgotten about because of the Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger stuff is we don't know how healthy D'Angelo Williams, Williams is. Yeah. He didn't so. um, didn't participate at all in practice on Thursday. So you have to assume that that's very unlikely to play in a week like this where, you know, he hasn't played last week. And actually the other running backs did okay last week. I think they had 140, 150 yards between them. So, um, but really, is, when you say it's going to be easy for the Broncos, it'll be like a 12-0 win or a 12-3 win because the Broncos aren't going to put up huge numbers either, are they? I think they can score on that Pittsburgh defense. I don't think that's a great unit. And it's going to, well, the one thing that could completely throw a spanner in the works in this is if Peyton Manning decides that actually he's still going to throw the same few crazy boneheaded plays he's been making all season long, which is the weirdest thing about this disastrous season of his is that I really don't think the arm had a huge amount to do with it. It's all the bad decisions he's been making, which when you think, if you imagined how the the waning years of Peyton Manning's career were going to go, the one thing that you figured would happen is that the the physical tools would decline, but he'd still be making the right decisions all the time. You know, he'd be smart. He'd just become more of a game-managing guy. And if they could rely on that, they'd be fine. If all he was is a a really athletically limited game-managing quarterback, (laughs) yeah, they'd be in perfect shape. The problem is now that you don't know that he's not going to decide to take it upon himself to throw the ball straight to a linebacker a couple of times in the game. And if he does that, you're giving the Steelers a couple more chances. All right, so everybody's gone for the Broncos in that one? You know, that yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So we do have a couple of minutes left. I want to talk about the uh, the geniuses back in football. Um, <laughs> Kian, you must have been delighted when Chip Kelly got the San Francisco 49ers gig. Initially, I was like, hmm, I kind of wanted Hugh Jackson here because everybody told me I wanted Hugh Jackson... <laughs> While at the same time, I'm like, actually, this is kind of interesting, you know? If this guy's as good a coach as he looks like he is, then San Francisco have a lot of players to be coached up in a massive draft class of 12 picks to come. Well, I I don't really know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's a good move. That's generally my sense with all these coaches because we know so little about them, even the ones who've been in the league. But I'm just happy he got another job because we get to see what it's going to be like because for two years it looked like it was going to be phenomenal and like you see what he did with Nick Foles you see what he did with, even with Michael Vick for, at the start you, you just think you, you want to see that again and see what he can do over a prolonged period and I think the Eagles rushed into getting rid of him and they kind of ended up with someone I'm not sure they really wanted because they were trying to get Tom Coughlin and it's just I think it's better for the league that Kelly's there because you've got a coach who's not just going to follow all the same rules that all the other coaches follow and he's going to try and do things that he wants to do Here, and right. that he thinks will work Hang on you called him Coughlin you're, well, what is it? You're from Cork. You're supposed to call him Colin. Oh, that's, that's more effort than Coughlin. <laughs> I would say the easy way out. I think it's Coughlin that's anyway Yank, in New York. That's, that's what the Yanks say, yeah. I was like, this is the third possible pronunciation. Um, what do you make of this, Sam? Interesting is the right word. It's definitely interesting. I think Chip Kelly, the coach, got way too big of a pass because Chip Kelly, the GM, took all the blame. You know, everyone's saying that it's the personnel decisions that cost him the job and it wasn't the bad coaching job. I don't think his coaching job has been good at all. I think he came in with this system that jolted the NFL. He wasn't used to defending it. And he had a pretty good roster when he turned up. And this 2013 team was fantastic. We saw dominant offensive line, dominant running game, which opened up deep shots um, to all the the receivers, Deshaun Jackson deep downfield one-on-one the whole time. Um, and it looks fantastic. But he sort of systematically 
dismantled it. Um, you know, Evan Mathis gave up as much pressure in like four seasons as Matt Tobin did this season on his own um, at guard. And the thing, the criticism that I've heard from ex-Chip Kelly players is that nothing changes. He runs exactly the same thing all the time and makes no adjustments. And the key to the NFL these days is that you have to be constantly tinkering with your stuff. You have to evolve it because everybody else, you know, one week is just another week of everyone else trying to figure out how to shut it down. And if you don't change anything, the NFL is too smart that they will figure out how to attack it. I think we saw that this year that teams just knew what was coming and they didn't actually change anything. So the, the 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 execution got worse for sure, but the the real issue is that week in week out teams just knew what was coming and knew how to attack it. And whether it was one guy, the the guy that getting beat would change every single play. But the bottom line is nothing evolved to the point where you could actually improve. So if he turns up with the Chip Kelly system, both offense and defense, it might you know revive a guy like Colin Kaepernick within the system briefly. But I think the bottom line is it's still destined to to fail if they don't actually evolve it. One of the things that you do get from massive, humiliating public failure, though, is the sense that, shit, that didn't end so well. Maybe I need to think about myself a little bit. So you'd hope that the failure is actually the thing that helps them because so many sports kick somebody out when you make a mistake like this and they say that's the end of it, but never allowing the person to learn from those mistakes. All the great coaches have had some failure in their past. Um, you know, I think the two coaches of the Super Bowl teams last year both had fairly public failures uh, at various stages in their careers too and mm. ultimately ended up being the best coaches in the league. So. I've been thinking about Belichick a lot this week actually because you're talking about like, you know, what happened with Cleveland. Now fair enough, like I mean, I don't think it was like, I don't think it was the same thing as what happened to Kelly at Philadelphia. But it ultimately was. He did have to go and kind of humble himself again and, you know, just retake the reins somewhere else and start again, you know. So I think it was, a, they, they say it's a different Belichick that's the coach of the Patriots than was the coach of the Browns. So, I mean, everybody, like, it's not as if everything was a disaster for Kelly in those um, couple of years at, at the Eagles, you know. So there's plenty of stuff to work on there. I don't think we're looking at this, like, washed-up guy on his final chance, you know. No. Um, the Browns and the Dolphins both went from being laughingstocks to, hey, you guys have really done a good bit of business here, Keen. I'm kind of confused by the the optimism surrounding Adam Gase. I, I I understand why he's a coach and he's a fine coach and I don't have any actual problems with him hiring him, but I'm not sure why he's being sold as this great quarterback guru or anything like that. Like, Adam what, Gase or Hugh Jackson? No, Gase. Not, not Jackson. I understand, I understand the, the optimism with Jackson because of what he's done with the Bengals offense and what he did in Oakland with trying to get Carson Palmer. But with Gase, I know he's he's done well with good quarterbacks, but... A lot of the time with these guys, like look at Joe Philbin, he was next to next to Aaron Rodgers. That's the last guy they heard. They said, oh, Aaron Rodgers is great. Joe Philbin is there with him. So Joe Philbin must be great. And this is kind of what we do. We take the guy who's standing next to the good player or who works well, underneath Bill the Bill O'Brien. Well, didn't Gase, <laughs> didn't Gase make Cutler not look as shit as everybody else? Isn't that the thing? It's like, so he I took- don't. I don't think he did, though, because I think last year Cutler was just getting overly criticized for a lot. Like, he had a lot of interceptions, but a lot of those are bouncing off his wide receivers. And last year, like, we, we, we everyone came into the, uh, this season going, oh, Cutler's terrible, Cutler's awful. 
when he was never really awful. It's just he never really lived up to the expectations we had. So our perception changed a little bit. All right. So on the Browns, though, I am pretty interested to see what they've done. They've retooled. They've restocked. They've looked outside. They've um, they've hired a guy in, in Jackson who certainly is talking the talk at the moment. Yeah, well, it's interesting for the front office as much as hiring Hugh Jackson. They they brought in guys from outside, from, from Moneyball, from baseball, um, guys that are, have a, a real analytics bent, guys that want to look in to a different way of doing things that isn't the same stuffy old conservative NFL way of, of doing stuff. And then Hugh Jackson is almost the other end of the spectrum. He's the, the old school football guy. I think they probably need one more hire to marry the two ends together. But for a franchise that's consistently ridiculed for doing things the wrong way and for getting it wrong and just being a cheap imitation of other ways of doing things, I think this is a really smart way of doing it on paper is to get guys that understand how to organize a, uh, a franchise, an organization from top to bottom, that understand that you need to bring in all this information that you can get your hands on, try and make these guys' lives easier, and then also have a smart coach that can make use of this data on the other side, like I say, I think the one thing missing at the moment is is some way of of tying the two ends together and try and um, get the sort of the harmony working. Because the other alternative is that the owner Jimmy Haslam is that conduit between the two, and that's probably quite frightening. All right, folks. Unfortunately, that's uh, all we've got time for this week. Thanks to both of you. Enjoy the weekend, lads. Cheers, you too. Thanks, lads. Have a good one. We'll be back in one second with uh, mixed picks. So uh, Chiefs at the Patriots, Kansas City plus five, the Packers at the Cardinals, Green Bay plus seven, uh, it's the Seahawks at the Panthers, Seattle plus 1.5, followed by the Steelers at the Broncos, Steelers plus 7.5. So the home teams are favoured by a combined 7-7, 14, 15, 16, 21 points. Four row teams won last week. Interesting uh, spread stat from last week, okay? Oh, yeah, you you won. Which I predicted after oh, I made the spread. Yeah, but I, I only got two right. I was I, I feel vindicated about uh, what I said about the Vikings and Seattle, but still bloody went for Seattle. I know, yeah, I was, oh, I was anyway. calling you a chicken for doing it. But. Very interesting thing, right? So I got this off um, the worst the, the, uh, Sal and um, Bill Simmons, who are always talking about gambling, but just put it together with this was last week, so put it together with this week's results. The two best teams in the regular season against the spread were Minnesota. And Cincinnati. And they both Nobody believed them all year. And then they go into the first round of the playoffs and they both lose beating the spread. Yeah. I think that's absolutely insane. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that kind of stat. The sort of, not, the, not, you don't believe in them as the year goes on. Yeah. I, think, I think after the first game, I think um, since uh, the Vikings were 13-2 and two after they obviously, after the, uh, the 49ers game. Yeah. yeah, they were 13-2 and two against the spread over the course of the year. So I'll be watching that next year for sure. Uh, also the... Let's back the good division against the bad division. Yeah, which it was a good idea. It turned out, well, and the good quarterback versus the bad quarterback, also a good decision. This week, no real good quarterbacks versus bad quarterbacks, except um, potentially in let's it could see. be bad quarterback against bad quarterback in Steelers Broncos. Yeah, let's see how bad uh, Ben is. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the Chiefs at the Patriots, Kansas City plus five. I'm taking the Kansas City points because I got to try and come from behind here. Oh, it's plus five. Yeah. Oh, it's seven. No. Okay, I'll take the Pats. Um, the Green Bay Packers plus seven. I'm taking the Arizona Cardinals, Cardinals to cover yeah. that. Yeah, 
I think they're a much better team. They are, yeah. Seven points is a lot, though. It's a touchdown. I think they'll win by... Ten points. Fifteen. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to go with that as well. The Seattle uh, Seahawks plus 1.5 against Carolina. Can I actually just go back really, really quickly on your... Um, you're taking the Chiefs, right? Yeah. I want to give you an amazing Tom Brady stat, right? Tom Brady has played 14 seasons in the NFL. One of those seasons, he played the first quarter of a game. So forget about that, right? So he's played 13 legitimate seasons, right? Do you know how many times he's made the um, AFC Championship game? Ten? Nine. It's not bad, is it? It's not bad, (laughs) right? Which is basically like the semi-final, right? So they're in the top four teams, nine of the 13 years. Two other times they've lost in this round. Maybe, no, three other times they've lost in this round and, and once in between their three Super Bowls they didn't make the playoffs in the second year. I just think that's just a phenomenal record. This is not This is the round where the Patriots normally go out and win 35 by now. 30 points. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen this week, but I'm definitely. that's why I'm not betting against them, just in case everyone thinks I'm being a weird homer. Uh, yeah, five points though. Could be a close game. Yeah, you see maybe. them win by field goal. Yeah. Kansas Sorry. is good. So Seattle... Seattle plus 1.5 at the Panthers. Go for it, sure. Take the Hawks. Um, Team of Destiny, yeah, why not? All right. The Panthers are going to kill them, aren't they? Okay, this is ridiculous because I have to go for, I don't even remember who the road team is. Oh, I can't take Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh at the Broncos. What's that? I'm taking Carolina, by the way, no doubt about it. Pittsburgh at the Broncos plus 7.5 points. Peyton Manning could throw two interceptions. Ooh. Oh, no, I'm going to take Steelers. Plus seven and a half? Yeah. I don't think it's going to be as easy as everyone says. I think the Denver will win, but what Denver do this year is win games even though everybody thinks they're shit. Yeah. So that that means win by four points, doesn't it? Yeah, well, they could win 13-3. They really yeah. could. Yeah. Like, I'm going to take Denver. Okay. Just I to try and win this I, thing. I, feel, I feel stupid doing this one just because I needed to take a road team and I left it to last. Do you want to change? No. All right. <laughs> I'm, too, I'm tired I want to go home yeah alright on that note uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast if you didn't uh, tweet Mick if you liked it tweet me I'm Matt Jagger he's that McCarthy Mick we'll see you next week enjoy the weekend folks 